Welcome to episode four of the Tech Travels podcast. I'm Ian Horn, author of CityWise Tech Travels columns and also host of the FinTech forums. I'm joined today by David Stamp, who has played a starring role in both. So David, I believe, is joining me from my hometown of Emsworth in Hampshire. Uh, David, how are you? And also, I didn't make it back for Christmas this year. So have I, have I missed anything? Well, uh, I'm very well, thank you. And uh, I think when it comes to Emsworth uh, and probably anywhere else at the moment, you probably haven't missed I was going to say, not not too much happens during normal times. So I I ask out of optimism more than anything, David. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yes, go on. The pubs have been shut, actually. So so that's the focus of Emsworth, I think. So uh, yeah, Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. It explains a lot. Anyway, um, for those those who don't know, we're not just here to talk about my hometown and pubs. Um, David is the director of Independent Financial Solutions, uh, a financial advice firm. He's also the director of Centology, which is an advice and wealth tech solution that does well, lots, to be honest, I, I gotta say, I find it hard to put Centology in a box. Um, David, when I spoke to you for the Tech Travels column, I focus on the fact you've built a solution that allows you to have 2000 clients. And I know it took you a long time to get to that point. Um, and there's a bigger story and I wanna get into that too. So I think we should start from the beginning. Um, you know, about 14 years ago, you're, you're running your own advice firm and you think it's time to create some software as people do, I assume. Um, so <laughs> why did you do that? I think the big challenge for us at the time is that we were working um, with a number of companies that were developing their own platforms and wraps. And the big battle for us was that we felt that you can't run an IFA business off of a platform or wrap, and you certainly couldn't run an IFA business off of a number of them because you know all of your data was was shared amongst a whole range of things and you weren't even sure whether you could get access to it or or use it for reporting or whatever so what we we did really is we started to move towards um linking a a reporting tool effectively a web-based reporting tool with our crm and that kind of you know that allowed us to link up a lot of this information um, we had first software at the time, and although there were lots of useful things within first software, and it certainly helped us a fair bit, um, it was difficult to pull everything together in the way that you wanted to present it to a client and to oversee things in the way that you you wanted to. So our big mm-hmm. challenge really was, you know, how do we get everything in one place? And how do we use that to our advantage as financial advisors? So we had this web-based system that we'd um, developed and it was very much linked to first software, but it, you know, it did a job for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And obviously things have developed since then uh, and and fast forwarding a bit, you know, can you, can you give us an overview of what Scentology does now? Because you had all these things you were trying to sort out and like you were saying, have all your solutions kind of integrated and all in one place, you know, what, what have you done to kind of solve that problem? So the key thing for us was that we needed to get enough data consistently into one area mm-hmm. to be able to do what we needed to do. And the system that we built, we um, got to a point where we realized that it was very much focused on um, what the data we could pull out of first software we had a few other uh, updates and feeds that we could put in. 
but the fact that we were so linked into a one single CRM system and the fact that they kept moving fields around, which, you know, broke our system fairly regularly, mm -hmm. that um, we, we could see that we were, you know, we're at a kind of critical point. So we saw um, Curo, we looked at what Microsoft were doing, and we made the decision that if we went to any cloud-based solution, you know, we thought that Microsoft was probably the, the thing. And we had a template with the dynamics um, structure of Curo for us to build out the back office. And then we decided to build this data aggregation mm -hmm. um, point. So from our point of view, we could see that other people could use it. We could pull in more data from all places. And we weren't, you know, at the mercy of, you know, one product provider. Mm -hmm. So that that was a step. So literally, we had, you know, as a business, had spent quite a lot of money on this software um, that we built, and we scrapped the whole lot and uh, started again. Yeah, so, I really want to get back into that into that story at some point. Um, hmm. It's definitely lined up as a question, but I yeah. find it interesting. You know, you must have had some frustrations with existing tech providers. I'm not not asking you to go out and, and bash anyone specific here, but to go and build your own solution while you're also running an advice business. I mean, that's 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 quite a lot of work. You know, what, what was it the existing providers weren't doing that you well, felt you needed to step in and do? Yeah. So the biggest challenge for for me is that one way or another, you know, because we've always been able to look after we we would find you know we have a lot of inquiries and a lot of the systems out there it was very difficult to onboard a client to set up you know your, your tasks and you know get get the momentum behind the case and you know we nothing solved that problem and, and when i look around now I still, you know, we've spoken to a lot of advisors around Scentology and many of the systems have still got those struggles. You know, they've got different levels and in different places and you can't just have this nice smooth process. We, we had a 15 year old um, lad come to us um, on a workplace and in the afternoon he could go through the whole onboarding function, create a whole case and uh, was feeding all the data in and everything. Well, you know, amazing thing, you know, is that you yeah. could do that, you know, no training, not, he was only with us for a week and be, be more than a lot of it straight doing businesses by the end of that week. And we could trust him to do it, consistency of data. So all of these things are really important in terms of making sure that we can, um, you know, we can one get data into the system, you know, on the other end, we've had a lady join us recently, she's only been working for us for, you know, a week and joined, you know, during this lockdown. And at the end of the week, we've got a PI application to do, she's pulled all of the data for the PI application out of the system in a day and a half, mm -hmm. um, using the, you know, the structure that's put in place. So, you know, putting data in and getting data out is the yeah. challenge and and that's what i couldn't get with other systems and i knew that had to change particularly if you're going to look after people on a volume basis mm -hmm. in the way that we do and do it efficiently yeah I, I find it interesting that you know you mentioned cloud computing uh clean data uh and also i suspect to a large degree automation right being able to automate loads of the processes and do it in such a way where as you say people who are new to the business or even you know a 15 year old on work experience can step in and, and use it 
I suppose the devil's advocate part of that is, you know, what's the compliance risk there? And how do you, you know, make sure the regulators are on board with this? Well, the, I think, again, the clever thing about this is that you get a consistency of data. And if you structure the way you gather your data in a way that you fulfill the compliance requirement as you go along. So last year, we did something like 1400 cases and every one of our cases were pre-complied. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. because, you know, the way the data had gone in was consistent. You could understand why the advice was given and um, the recommendation letter. We can produce a recommendation letter, like 90 percent of it at the touch of the button. And what that does is it pulls in all the accumulated compliance information, you know, the fact find, what the advisor's seen, you know, they're, they're, what they feel the requirements are of the clients. We compare that with the client's request. So we don't do necessarily just what the client wants to do. The research, you know, the output, whatever, all gets pulled into that report with all the appendices at the press of a button. So mm-hmm. what we've got actually is, if, if somebody came to check our file, which actually 360 did, and we just gave them a login and let them, you know, go through mm-hmm. it, you know, all the activities, all the notes, all the documentation, the recommendation letter, and everything that sits in our system is all supportive of that case, mm-hmm. right? And also within that, we can, we can also identify the things that the clients chose not to do. Yeah. So, you know, when we do an annual review, we can say to them, look, these are the things we did for you. This is where you are at the moment. And these are the things that we still think you probably should look at. But, you know, we, we haven't done them at the moment. So, you know, I think we, we've, we've compliance is absolutely, you know, there's no point doing all this without nailing your compliance. You know, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, in going from a position where things are working, you can, you know, easily rationalize loads of your processes and do more. Well, you know, what's it mean for the nature of the jobs that you have at your company and the way you structure the company? Uh, you know, looking at, you know, IFS, looking at the advice side of it, because yeah. we've, you know, we've had presenters at the fintech forums uh, and even articles about some, you know, really philosophical things like the, you know, the fourth industrial revolution, the idea that people's working lives are going to change massively, um, you know, as people work remotely and as, you know, we allow machines to do more of the work and automation to do more of the work. You know, what has this meant for people at your company? What we've done is we've broken up um, the, the, the link between the documentation and the data and the way that you deal with all the back office and the role of the advisor. So the role of the advisor is very much focused on um, dealing with the client inquiries, you know, responding to issues and planning out and giving all the input, professional input to get that, you know, to the right point in terms of the advice process and, and having time to communicate with the number of clients that they've got. In the back office, in fact, we've just done a, a, a rejig of our back office now because, mm-hmm. you know, what, I think probably every six months where our systems develop, we look at, you know, what, what people are doing and how we oversee all of it and how we keep it moving. And mm-hmm. what we've been able to do is as time's gone on, all the basic administration, we've really tied into these processes. So we don't really have basic administrators anymore because that work's done. So the key thing is that we can elevate the skill set of everyone within our business and give them, you know, more knowledge, a better job, I would suggest, and, and the ability to have 
better communication between the team. So, you know, it, it's, an, it's never stopping, it's an ongoing process, but I think we've got, you know, better qualified people with more ability, you know, with more control over what they do. And we have got, you know, that whole connection within the technology. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's a revolution, I would suggest, but, you know, it's, it's not a constant, you know, there's variations yeah. and challenges to what you do all of the time. So this one to me, I mean, from the top, off the top of my head, um, having never operated in a back office or as an advisor, I get the impression that for an advisor, this is great, spending more time with your clients, having worthwhile conversations. But have you had any pushback from people in the back office? Because, you know, if their job's being largely automated, does it, you know, does it make it a, you know, a less rewarding job for them or, or no? Well, I think the fact that they, they go up the scale of the task that they need to do, we continually move them forward in terms of tra internal training. And, and there's a clear path of how you would move through the business. So we've structured it so that the different levels of, um, of, of back office um, support, you know, there's a clear defined level. And as you train and you move forward, you've got a career path effectively. Yeah. And the fact is, if you've got a career path, you can stop when you like, you can progress if you want. And if we know that what we're doing is, is creating a bigger and bigger client bank, then there isn't, you know, technology isn't, you know, isn't creating a bad environment for you, is it? It's, it's actually giving you a better job, a better career path. And the fact that there's a whole load of people that don't have to do certain things that maybe they never wanted to do in the first place yeah. is, is not really a challenge, is it? No, that makes sense. It does make sense. Um, I've got to say, I don't care for repetitive paperwork myself, so um, <laughs> I can I can understand that. Um, let, let's go back to the two thousand clients thing because for me that was the big headline when I wrote about you last year. You know, you were looking after two thousand clients when most advisors I meet, maybe a hundred, hundred and twenty clients. Hmm. Um, so just to clarify, are these all full advice clients or are they, you know, kind of a, across a spectrum? Pro Probably in terms of full advice clients, looking at the situation, we're, we're probably looking at somewhere between 12 to 1300. There's some corporate clients, there's some, um, you know, various like scheme clients that we have more to do with. We don't, we're not including people that we, have, you know, under schemes or whatever that we don't support in any way, but they are clients at all levels, really. Um, and over the last year, I, I've probably taken on. 15 clients a month mm -hmm. you know anyway yeah. um, and I think I had something like about 20 odd new clients in January yeah I mean do you think this is potentially a kind of new paradigm for advice I mean in 2019 I, I made a documentary about financial planning and, and one of the things that played a big role in that was the advice gap uh, you know open money have done research on the advice gap for a few years now um, their 2020 research found that the affordable advice gap which is you know people that can afford advice um, you know, but but don't look for it, it is about 5.3 million people. And that's down half a million, which is good. The free advice gap, which is the people that, you know, would benefit from free advice has actually grown. But do you think now that we're a step closer to bringing financial advice to the masses? Uh, I, well, I think in what we're trying to do, I think that is, you know, that is our objective really is to have that very broad based advice business. Um, and I think robo advice is always going to be um, a difficult um, thing to get across in terms of that full advice, you know, what we do as IFAs. Um, but I think what you want is some of the systems and structure of robo advice, but you mm -hmm. want an advisor to 
maintain that kind of relationship. And I think if we get that balance right with the technology out there, then I think we can close that advice gap. You know, um, you know, I think there's always going to be people that just won't look for advice and, and feel they don't want it. But what's been interesting in lockdown, the amount of people that have come to us and said, we've never thought of getting advice in the past. But now we now we've had time yeah. to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, it's, it's sad as it is, we we saw an uptick in people looking for advice when people were looking at wills. I yeah. mean, it's uh, yeah a bit morbid, but it, but it definitely happens. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. I, I do think yeah there are other issues like you say. I mean, people trusting the profession, building the reputation for financial planning, but you know at the same time, it, it, if the processes are there to accept the demand, once we're able to achieve those things, that. That can only be good. Um, and now I want to get back, David, to you know what we mentioned, what you mentioned briefly earlier, was which is having a solution that you'd built for nine years and then just destroying it and rebuilding. I mean, that must have been agonizing, having spent so long building something up. So, you know, what 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 is it that made you do that? And and also, you know, what was that whole process like? You know, what was it? What was it, what was what was that? You know, it must have been difficult to accept that you were building something that you were never going to use. Well, it wasn't really me accepting it. It was um, the guys that built it as well. So, yeah, yeah. fair point. Um, the, the, big, the big challenge for us at the time was that, you know, there was a change in, in my business anyway. But, but the key thing was we, you could see the connectivity to, you know, the various um, different elements of what, you know, what we were using, whether it was funds and products and what have you, was going to be key to us being able to, um, you know, progress our business. And, and we could see, although we had certain connectivity, we didn't really have what we needed. Um, as I say, seeing Curo and seeing some of the advantages of, uh, you know, how we could build out that back office and, you know, create that oversight and move move on um you know the administration process um we we needed a platform that you know would allow us to to move with the current environment technically and um and achieve what we want to achieve and i think what's been good for us and, it, and it's a difficult thing to get across when you're talking to people with Scientology is that flow of data, you know, and that free access to your information and being able to, you know, you know, reel it off and produce it in different formats, just using some sort of plugin or whatever. And, and now it's all built on Azure. So, you know, Microsoft are selling out, sending us information about, you know, plugging in AI and bots and things like this. You know, these guys are spending a couple of billion dollars a year, you know, yeah. developing this system. So from our perspective, I thought, you know, one, we need to get over the line in terms of having something that goes with that new environment. But I went back to our programmers and we discussed where we were and what the problems and restrictions were. And they held their hands up and they said, well, we're hamstrung by this, you know. And I said, right, OK, so the only option we've got is either, you know, I go and find someone else to yeah. you know, create a new environment or you guys go and find out everything about Azure and um, and what we can do under the Microsoft structure. And uh, and that's what they did. And uh, we've got people building some of the back office technology in Ukraine now. And uh, we have done for many years. So they're very used to what we're doing. And then we've got a couple of several developers onshore doing a lot of the front end stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's progressed hugely. But there's been struggles all the way along because what we're doing is challenging you know we're even challenging microsoft with some things 
you know we're yeah. asking them questions and they said well no one's ever asked us that or even seemed to have thought of it so you know it, it's mm -hmm. it is a battle being in that environment I can imagine and how important is it to kind of constantly test your systems and processes because you know if things take off and let's just say Scientology went worldwide in, in a different scenario but then you realize the tech was outdated now you know do you think you'd just go destroy it rebuild again do you think that mentality is essential i think there's a more open path in terms of the technology structure on the cloud-based azure you know platform mm. um i think but what we are always doing is uh, even internally within that system we've been able to develop um, more flexible front-end um you know processes that uh, I think when we started, we're only back-end processes. Mm -hmm. So we had to hard code a lot of stuff, whereas now we can use plugins and we can use our own front-end developments, whatever. So the good thing is we haven't had to change the system to do it. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if we can then plug in, you know, bots and AI and whatever and get other advantages because they're there, those are decisions that we can make. But the key is if you've got your data, and I always look at it as you know, flat data, then whatever you plug in, you know where your data is, you know what your reporting data looks like, and you, you know, you know what you're doing next. So, so these are, these are all key things. So I, I would hope that I don't have to go and do anything else to majorly change that at the moment. But, mm. you know, I, I think challenging it and seeing where you're headed is, uh, is, is just so important. And, mm -hmm. and if you don't do it, then you're going to come up against, you know, Britain. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this brings me on to a final question, David. You know, there's loads of technology providers out there that we know are using tech architecture that was built years ago. I discussed this in a previous episode. But for people who are looking to make sure when they bring in new tech or choose a new solution, for people trying to make sure they're part of this new wave of technology providers that will make them fit for the future, what questions should they be asking providers? I think the question that we asked in the first place was how do we connect our data, you know, sources up and what is, you know, the likelihood of that breaking? What are the, what's the flow of data and how can I use it and how can I report on it? And I think that is the key. And I think the Scientology portal, what we've tried to do there is it doesn't matter what your back office systems are, where you're getting your data from, you can pull it all into there and you can do pretty much whatever you like with it and and i think at the moment that isn't that isn't where most of these systems sit you know there isn't that capability but i think these are the questions you're asking you know can, can i just flow through a process see every level or do i have to jump in and out of the system and can i just report on can i create my own reporting documents you know on the fly and easily present that to a client. You know, what, what's my capability and what things are gonna get in the way? And uh, if, if they honestly tell you, then you've got your answer. Um, if they don't, then you'll sign up to something that you'll wanna get out of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> makes sense. So, so David, look, I'm gonna to have to wrap it up here, but, but thank you for joining me for the Tech Travels podcast. Uh, you know, as I, as I found last time I spoke to you, I'm, I'm fascinated by what you've done and it's, it's food for thought, I think, for any advisors who are thinking of creating solutions of their own or, or even just overhauling their own tech proposition. So 
you know, really interesting stuff. Also, thank you to everyone for listening. Our next episode will be with behavioral finance expert, Neil Beige, and we're going to look at how behavioral finance and technology can work together.